Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Something a little different today, and I'm really looking forward to it. Doug LaMaurice, fill it in because Dan Lobby is going to take some vacation time. The man the man works his, himself to the bone, so he's going to take a little break. And while he's out, you know, you'll hear me a little bit more on these Brown pods, uh, Browns podcasts. Uh, but Chris Fedor is here to make me look smart today. Chris Fedor, if you don't know, of course you know. One of the best NBA writers in the country, covers the Cavs for us, also great on radio, knows everything about Cleveland sports. And so, Chris, the reason I wanted to have you on a Browns podcast is because mm-hmm. you're smart and you're good at talking. But I want to talk about the Browns rebuild. Now that it's clearly done, what do we think? And then is, are there any lessons that the Cavs can learn from what the Browns did? And where are their similarities and where are their differences? Because as I was doing, I did a little prep. I did a little prep for the podcast, right. believe it or not. You know, the Browns really did like really, truly stink, stink, stink for three years, right? Mm. They got the they got the number two pick in the 2016 draft and traded down twice after going three and 13. They got the number one pick and took Miles Garrett in the 2017 draft after going one and 15. And then they went 0 and 16 and took Baker Mayfield at number one. So they got the second pick, the first pick and the first pick from being awful. The Cavs just finished what would be their third year of being awful, right? And Colin Sexton actually was at was sort of like pre-being bad because they got that pick by trading Kyrie while LeBron was still here. We all know that. But what they have gotten then out of being awful for three years is they got the five pick and took Darius Garland. They got the five pick and took Isaac Okoro. And now they have the three pick. And so they are kind of on like – if they actually are compared to the Browns, Chris, like now, now the Browns weren't great right away, but like they mm-hmm. still, they start, they ticked up a little bit right after they went seven, eight and won that next year. And they started being not completely horrible. So I do think that's where the similarities are right now in like three totally awful years that get you really high picks. And then what? So let's start there. But then I also want to get your views just sort of on the Browns on their own. Oh, am I making stuff up? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, is there any, are there any, are do you, does I sound crazy to you? Or are there some comparisons here between the Cavs and the Browns? No, I think there are obvious comparisons. Look, I think the first thing people would say, Doug, is that they're two different sports. Football is a 53 man roster. They don't have a draft lottery, the NBA. It's about a starting five. It's a 17 man roster. They do have a draft lottery. So there are a little bit, um, of similarities and there are a little bit of differences, 
but but I like where you're going with this because I, I think there are lessons to be learned from the Browns that we can um, implement when it comes to the Cavs and evaluating the Cavs and trying to do it properly and trying to do it fairly. You know, I remember you, all of your writing during the time that, that the Browns were tanking and they were one of the worst teams uh, in the NFL. Um, and I remember also in conjunction with that, you know, a lack of patience from a fan base. And, and I think that's the first lesson in any kind of rebuild is that patience is required to do this right. You can't skip steps, right? There is a process involved and everybody hates the term process, but there is a process involved and it's a lengthy process and it's going to take time and there are going to be missteps along the way. But at the end of the day, um, what you're trying to do is you're trying to assemble as much young talent as possible so that you can grow with that. Because once you start playing in free agency and making these win now trades, then you get into a completely different realm where not everything could be sustainable. The great thing about the Browns and the situation that they're in, Doug, I think it's the fact that you don't feel like once they get to that point where they're finally a playoff team, that it's just going to be enjoy it for the one year. And then it's probably not going to happen again for another five, 10 years, something along those lines, right? You feel like once the Browns get to that level, they can sustain that over a long time because of the way they went about their process. So one of the important things you said in there is that there are missteps and yep. that is part of it. That is why everybody, you want as many shots at this as you yep. can get because you're not going to hit every pick. But one of the other things that we're going to obviously get into is you have to hit on some of the picks. All yep. you're doing by losing and tanking is positioning yourself and, you know, higher draft picks work out more often than lower draft picks. I mean, there's, it's not perfect, but so that's a part of it. I, I want to lean into the football first before we get into more comparisons. The Browns, when they stunk, and, and this is, I think, the only way to really look at it. To me, in football, it's when you stink, you get a better first-round pick and you get a better second-round pick. And then once you're into the third and fourth and fifth rounds, you're still picking higher, but I don't know. I mean, you could have picked, a, if you liked them better, what's being higher in the fourth round is not a big deal. So it's really about the first and second-round picks. Mm. So the 2016 draft, they stink. They wind up with the second pick and the 32nd pick. 2017, they wind up with one and 33. 2018, they wind up with one and 33. And then you can do with that whatever you want. And we know in that first draft, they traded down twice and wound up with a gazillion players. But yep. that was their choice of how to use it. So if you miss on the gazillion, it's still about how you use it. And then they didn't trade down as much, but in the end, and I did, I mean, Scott Patsko has been tracking this stuff for five years, every single thing, who, what you got out of this, whatever here in the end, right now, as they're good, mm -hmm. these are the players that they wound up with who are still here right now that are a result of being bad. Okay. So miles Garrett first pick in 2017, half of Odell Beckham jr. Because, you got Peppers as part of all this stuff, and he was mm -hmm. half of the value to get Odell Beckham. David Njoku, because he would have been your early second-round pick that year. You traded up slightly to get him back into the first round, but he's still here. Baker Mayfield, mm -hmm. first pick in 2018. Denzel Ward, who was a product of two years of trading down in 2018. Richard LeCount, who, I still, who counts not as a trade thing, but because Austin Corbett was still part of 
being terrible. He was your second round pick and okay. then he stunk. And then you traded him to the Rams for a fifth round pick <laughs> that became Richard LeCount this year. Oh my and God. then also Nick Chubb. And there is a particular comparison to this Cavs team that I think the Cavs have their own Nick Chubb and Nick Chubb is not a result of a draft pick from being bad, but it's the result of a philosophy of while we're being bad, let us be a facilitator for other deals and we'll take somebody else's trash and, and be compensated, and we're able to do that because we're stinking. So in the end, the result of three years of bad football, Chris, is Miles Garrett, Baker Mayfield, Denzel Ward, Nick Chubb, David Njoku, Richard LeCount, and half of Odell Beckham. Was that worth it? Was that a successful tank job and rebuild by the Browns? Yeah, I think so. I think it was absolutely worth it. And I think one thing that stands out to me there, Doug, is that they didn't force the quarterback. You know what I mean? Um, I think everybody inside the organization with the Browns knew that they needed a quarterback. These guys aren't dumb. They know that what they were running out there, a quarterback, wasn't going to be enough. But they evaluated Carson Wentz. It looks like properly, right? They could have forced it and gone with Mitchell Trubisky instead of Miles Garrett. But they were like, you know what? We have to assemble talent. At the end of the day, high-level talent, regardless of position, is going to take us where we ultimately need to go. And that's the way that they went about it. And I absolutely think it's a success. We're sitting here today talking about the Browns maybe, Doug, being the most complete team in the entire NFL. Um, We're talking about the Browns being a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And I think even though... You can um, hate the fact that you had to go through 1-15 and 15 and 0-16 oh and, and all of that pain on Sunday. There is a reward for crummy football over those couple of seasons, and now you're actually feeling the rewards of that. And I absolutely think it was a success. Don't you? Well, I mean, yeah, I, of course I <laughs> You and I listen, though. I mean, like, hey, it's like, hey, hey, let's have Fedor. It's like, oh, why is Fedor on? I don't know, because Fedor, we agreed while this was happening. And like everybody else thought it was nuts. And like yeah. you and I were two of the few voices in Cleveland that liked the whole idea. Um, yeah. And and it worked. I mean, it indisputably worked. And I think all the Browns fans listening to this realize that the reason they're good now is because they did that. Yep. Right. That maybe I get it. The Steelers never tanked and they're always good. And the Ravens never tanked. They're always good, but that's what the Browns weren't that. And they did tank and now they're good. So like, that's not a coincidence. It's directly tied to, they stunk. Now they're good. There is a straight line. We saw the results. And right after this on the orange and Brown talk podcast, we'll be back and we'll, we'll remark upon all the misses that were part of getting here next. All right, Doug Lamarie's back with Chris Fudor. Part of it, and I think we can get hung up on this, Chris, and that's why you said the missteps is so important. Just to remind people, not that they need to be reminded, the fruits of the apple, right? All the things they got with the different trade downs and from stinking. I'm including anything that's like a first or second round pick on its own. You had those six picks that you earned by stinking and you turned it into other stuff. But here are the misses. Corey Coleman, Sean Coleman. Uh, Cody Kessler, Ricardo Lewis, Derek Kindred, Jordan Payton, Deshaun Kaiser, Chad Thomas, Antonio Callaway, Austin Corbett. Whiff, 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 whiff. But that's part of the deal, right? I mean, it's not, you don't end up counting the whiffs. 
you wind up counting how many good players did you wind up with. And listen, if they had taken Dak Prescott the year again, I mean, that's why I'll never, I mean, the respect I have for Chris Fedor will never diminish Dak Prescott. I mean, it's like you were Dak Prescott's agent that year. And I was like, (laughs) Dak, why does this guy love Dak Prescott so much? If only the Browns had listened, but listen, yes, all the things you could have done. But the, the bottom line is, by stinking and by doing what they did, they gave themselves enough chances to whiff and still get here. That yep. they have all the whiffs, but they still have Baker and Miles and Denzel and Nick Chubb and everybody else. And the missteps are part of the deal. Yeah. And, and here's another thing too, Doug. There's so many people that say, oh, did you have to go 1-15 in 15 that one year, 0-16 oh, that other year? Wouldn't have been better if you just you know went 4-12 or something couple more wins along the way so that you feel better on Sundays. Like every win that they would have gotten along the way would have been more costly. Like, yeah, they would have been getting a good player, but it would have been a different caliber player. That's the truth. If they would have gone three and 13 instead of one in 15 in 2016, then they would have gotten Solomon Thomas instead of Miles Garrett, Right. Think about how different the vibe around the rebuild or the vibe around the defense would have been if Solomon Thomas is in that spot for Miles Garrett or Leonard Fournette is in that spot instead of Nick Chubb. You know what I mean? Yep. So it's like, yeah, it was painful in the moment, but short-term sacrifice for long-term game is something that I'm always going to be on board with when it comes to a franchise operating, provided I feel good about the people that are implementing that plan. So I eventually would like to write something about this. If I, I hopefully we'll get around to it too uh, soon. And listen, if, if you guys want to like, want to read that stuff and it mostly it's not for me, it's the stuff at our site, our great Browns content. That's Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Pasco, Dan Lobby, Ellis Williams. If you want to be a Browns insider, you get access to all the stories because some of the stories are free and some side, some are for the subscribers, for the insiders. So if you want to be a Browns insider, you get access to all those stories. You get a daily newsletter written by the best Browns coverage team in the business. You get these, these daily texts into your phone with the latest on what's going on with the Browns. I know a lot of you listening are part of that. If you want to, it's like we're getting there, right? And people are on vacation a little bit, but pretty soon it's going to be football time. Cleveland.com slash Browns. Go there. Click the blue banner at the top of the page. This is a time to get in on this. So, Chris, I told you this beforehand that once the 76ers, the Philadelphia 76ers lost, and everybody sort of started making fun of the process because, and we'll get into the process a little bit, what the Sixers got out of that, they wound up with two pieces and one of the pieces can't shoot. So everyone's mocking the process. The Houston Astros, and I had Astros people on this podcast years ago. Hey, the Astros are tanking. Aren't they geniuses? Oh, wait, they're a bunch of dirty cheaters. <laughs> dirty, dirty, dirty cheaters. That, so that, that ended up with Carlos Correa, George Springer, and some of these other guys, Alex Bregman, because of their tanking. I mean, like, they, they wouldn't have even had to cheat. You no. had the talent, but you ruined <laughs> exactly. it by being by being the dirtiest, dirtiest cheaters. So so those dirty cheaters ruined tanking, right? (laughs) The Sixers, now listen, the Sixers were really god-awful for a decade, and now it's like, hey, how come you were only the one seed and Mm -hmm. you didn't make the Eastern Conference Finals? And it's like, my God, they're so much better than they used to be. Actually, guess what? The process did work. Mm -hmm. It got them way above what they were, but it didn't get them all the way. In terms of getting there all the way without being dirty, dirty cheaters... I think the Cleveland Browns might be carrying the mantle of tanking. 
in modern sports, Chris, that the Browns are not in the Super Bowl yet. Mm-hmm. But I, and I don't think they're going to cheat. I mean, if they cheat, we'll call them out. But they're not the Astros. Sure. But the one thing, Chris, that really mattered in all this, and we'll get to the Cavs, but the Sixers kind of did it right to get the guys, and they wound up, they whiffed on two of their pieces, and they mm-hmm. got two pieces, and the two pieces don't fit. Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield fit because it's two different sides of the ball, and that's who – it's you got to make the right picks in the end, but that to me is why I think the Browns actually may have a chance to be the more successful tanking story. Because when you think about, well, what did you wind up with as your truly prized possessions? And by the way, you've got Nick Chubb and Denzel Ward on opposite sides of the ball, right behind those guys backing them up. But you wound up with a defensive player who has a chance to be the defensive player of the year this year. And you wound up with an offensive player who's a franchise quarterback. Now he's not Patrick Mahomes, but he certainly looks like a franchise quarterback. That's what matters in the end, Chris, that they did the fruits of their tanking wound up with, I think, two pillars and actually four that you can build around long term. And the Sixers just a little bit of lack, you know, they're a little unlucky, unlucky. They didn't quite wind up with the same type of pillars. They didn't. But I'll say this um, when it comes to asset accumulation, and that's basically what this is. That's what the Browns did. That's what the 76ers did. That's what the Houston Astros did. Like, Doug, there's no rule that says those guys that you assemble throughout the course of of your tanking or your rebuild, they have to be there at the end once you get to the top. It's all just about how you choose to use those guys. And some of them are going to be there. Some of them are going to lead you ultimately to the promised land, first to the playoffs and what you hope is a Super Bowl or an NBA championship or a World Series. But if you think about it, if we go back, 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 the only reason that the Houston Rockets were able to get into the James Harden era is because they assembled a bunch of young talent and they had a bunch of assets and they were ready to strike when somebody became available. And I know football and basketball is a little bit different in terms of how often you trade these guys. But the bottom line is, like you said earlier, without Jabril Peppers, without that trade, maybe you don't have Odell Beckham Jr. So I guess what I'm saying is, maybe Philadelphia's process hasn't worked to that level where they've gotten a championship. And there are questions about Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and whether those guys can play together. But what if Ben Simmons becomes the vehicle that the 76ers use in order to get Damian Lillard? Right. It's entirely possible that that happens this off season. And if it's not Damian Lillard, maybe it's somebody else that could fit alongside Joel Embiid. So as long as you keep stacking up these assets, they could either become tradable commodities or they can be the pieces that ultimately are still on the roster once you get to that point. It's what Phoenix did. The Phoenix Suns were out of the playoffs, Doug, for 10 years. They decided to use some of the young talent that they had and some of the draft capital that they had to go out and get Chris Paul. And now they're one win away from getting to the NBA finals. So there's no rule that says all these guys that you draft along the way have to be there at the very end. And (laughs) I mean, the same goes for the Browns. Maybe they determine that there's something else that they need in their quest to get to a Super Bowl. And one of these guys that looks like a core player, Denzel Ward, I don't know, somebody um, becomes a centerpiece of a trade to get better in a different kind of spot. The Sixers had four awful, 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 awful years. They wound up with the third pick, the third pick, the first pick, and the third pick. 
Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, pretty good. They Jaleel Okafor uh, was the third pick in 2015. They could have had Porzingis, not yeah, good. Not good. And 2017, they have the third pick. They trade up the number one. They take Markel Fultz, <laughs> and, and that could have been Jason Tatum. Yep. And if you put Jason Tatum on these Sixers, he solves every problem. You have right. a big three of Embiid, Simmons, and Tatum, and the process is the greatest thing in the history of sports. Yep. So you, you've got to hit on the picks. I also think there is a limit. Like the Browns were really awful for three, right? Mm. They, where they weren't winning right away. The Sixers mm. did it for four, and they had a couple of middling bad years before that. There is, I think, a limit on the patience that a fan right. base has. And again, we know that you guys listen to this for a football audience, but I bet a lot of you care about the Cavs. And regardless of how much of a Cavs fan you are, I mean, one of my favorite things is like crossing over sports and trying mm -hmm. to talk about things because we wind up, we're beat writers, we do individual things, we wind up sort of talking about things in their own silo a lot of the time. I just think there's a lot of interesting stuff between the Cavs and the Browns here. But before we get specific on that, Chris, is basketball a better tanking sport than football? Like where, and, and baseball, baseball certainly is harder because the draft is less of a direct process. Guys aren't, they have to go through the minor league system. It's much more of a crapshoot. Is basketball smarter to tank in? I think it's a yes and no, and I don't want to be that kind of guy, but I do think it's a layered conversation. It is better because in basketball, you need like eight to nine guys to feel really comfortable about your rotation and feel really comfortable about your chances. But within those eight, nine, if you have one or two stars, you got a shot. That's the bottom line. And if you don't have a star, you don't have a shot. And really, if you're a team like the Cavs, a mid-market team that's not a free agency destination – the only chance to get one of those kinds of series shifters is through the draft duh, or try and trade. And both um, I would say draft picks become extremely valuable from that route. Um, but I also say no, because playing the lottery is really, really difficult. And there's no guarantee that you get into a position to get one of those franchise changers. You could be a really bad team and you could finish with the second worst record in the NBA and you could drop to five out of a range of Zion Williamson, John Morant, the way that the Cavs were in 2019 when they ended up with Darius Garland. Uh, the view of this rebuild, Doug, I think would be completely different if they had lottery luck and they got Zion Williamson or they got John Morant. Like there are levels to greatness and as good as Darius Garland is, and I think he's going to be better, and there are people inside the Cavs organization and around the NBA that feel like he has star potential, at the end of the day, he's not John Morant, right? So right. there are levels to this sort of thing. Um, in football, it's very similar to basketball from this sense, I think, Doug. If you have the quarterback, you have a shot. The quarterback is the kind of guy that can elevate everybody around them. Uh, the quarterback can make the offensive line look better, can make wide receivers look better, can make a running game look better. You don't need great around that guy if he can be great and he can be an elevator. So that's why tanking, to me, can be so beneficial in the NFL specifically, and your, your fortunes can change in the snap of a finger if you get the right quarterback. Everything then falls into place with that. Um, in the NBA, it can be the same thing if you get that star player, but I think it's harder to guarantee getting that star player 
because in the NBA, you have to play the lottery. Okay. So let's get into some more direct comparisons. I I, I want to, I'm not going to ask you what Joel Embiid, what if he was a Cav? Because I think about that a lot. I don't know. If he wouldn't have been. It still I mean, would have turned into Kevin Love. They would have traded Joel Embiid at number one for Kevin Love. Okay. Yep. I just like Joel. He, I just like his personality. He seems like I a lovely agree. fella. Love, lovely guy. Okay, still would have been Kevin Love. That's fine. Kevin Love's an Olympian. Great. Kevin Love. Um, okay, so here's so here is this. Jarrett Allen is their Nick Chubb. They yeah, didn't they, they didn't they didn't get Jared Allen out of the draft like because they stink, but they were it was an asset while that they were able to acquire while they were stinking yep. because they were an asset acquisition use us as a subway stop on somebody else's trade, just like the Browns ate Brock Osweiler's contract to get the pick that turned into Chubb. The Cavs facilitate this, this Nets Houston trade. And the result is Jared Allen. And it's like a freebie. Yeah. Like it's not even directly, but it is tied to the stinking indirectly. Right. And, 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 uh, you know, Nick Chubb is holy moly, but man, Jared Allen could be their Nick Chubb. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. Absolutely. And that's something that, that I think too many people overlook in this whole process, Doug, is that um, when you go through a rebuild, whatever sport it is, this is a game of chess. It's not the first move always. It's the move that's going to come because of that. And if we go back Um, the only reason that the Cavs had Dante Exum is because they traded Jordan Clarkson. And the reason why they wanted to go out and get Dante Exum is one, because they thought that they could revive his career and he was a former top five pick. But the other thing is they thought that his contract was going to be valuable. They thought that some team would be wanting to dump some salary and then him being on an expiring contract would um, give him more value in the trade market. And they were right. Without Dante Exum, they're not able to take back Torian Prince's bad contract. Without Torian Prince's bad contract, they're not able to get Jared Allen. So this is a game of chess. Even the Kyrie deal of 2017 is a huge game of chess that looks a lot better these days with Jared Allen a part of that, with Larry Nance Jr. a part of that, with some other pieces parts a part of that. Um, So sometimes I think it's hard to look at it that way because you just look at the initial move. You're like, eh, I don't know. And you want to judge that initial move just on the surface. But that's not the way that it goes. It's what that initial move could then turn into down the road. And I think that is a really good comparison because it wasn't the first trade because you always want to evaluate the first trade. It's, it's what comes after those other moves and what does that ultimately turn into? And I think you're looking at it the right way. Okay. So now some other comparisons. Colin Sexton is just a little bit of an outlier because it wasn't like the Browns, like, unless I'm missing something, like traded a superstar. They didn't turn like the Joe Hayden trade into a thing that turned into an asset. So that's just like an extra asset that, the Cavs were kind of forced to acquire, but what they did a pretty good job in a tough situation, as you right. said. And the way things turned out with Kyrie, Colin Sexton, who's important, I mean, is a little bit of a bonus. The direct comparison to me is the Browns wind up and, and Ward is delayed, but Ward is still a fruit of the initial trade down. So really, in the end, you get three top tier talents from the three drafts. Yeah. 
in Miles Garrett, Baker Mayfield, and Denzel Ward. So for the Cavs, that's Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, and this. Mm-hmm. So we see what Ward, Garrett, and Mayfield have done for the Browns. How close could the Cavs come to Garland, Okoro, and the third pick this year? How close could that be to being what the Browns core of those three guys is? Yeah, I think it's close simply because this time they can finally get the guy. The thing that the, the, the Cavs rebuild was missing that, that I think the Browns had is they had that franchise-changing talent. Um, the guy who was going to be or had the potential to be one of the best players at his given position, a guy that you felt like you could build around. And Miles Garrett, you can build the entire defense around that caliber player. You know, Baker Mayfield, you can build an offense around that caliber player. Um, the Cavs had good players throughout the course of their drafting. Colin Sexton, good. Darius Garland, good. But they just didn't have that franchise changer. They didn't have that focal point. They didn't have the Kyrie Irving of the first Cavs rebuild. Now they're finally positioned to get that guy. Jalen Green would be that guy. Evan Mobley would be that guy. Whoever they get, Doug, at number three, if they stay at number three, if they don't try and move up to number one, immediately comes here and becomes the most important player of this rebuild and the most talented player of this rebuild. And I think the view of a rebuild starts to shift once you finally have that kind of guy. And the vision starts to come more into focus once you feel like you have that kind of guy. So when the Browns got that, and when they got Baker Mayfield, they went yes. from 0 and 16 to 7, 8, and 1. And we exactly. know, I mean, you fire Hugh in the middle of that year. It's still kind of a mess. Then the next year you have the expectations. You get Freddie. It doesn't go right. Mm. But the process, the, the, you were no longer at the bottom. No, there was a level of hope that came with Baker Mayfield. It was, and the, the bounce back up had begun. Yep. So these three really quite losing seasons of the Cavs, is this the bottom? And when they add this number three pick, could the bounce back with Jared Allen, with Garland, with Sexton, with the Coro, with Larry Nance Jr., everybody, could that bounce back up start next season? Not even, maybe not even playoffs or not mm-hmm. in championship, but, but maybe fight for the eight seed, a better season than the past three. Is that where they are? Yeah, I think so. I think it's time now because they're in position to get that kind of franchise changer. I think it's time to raise expectations. I think it's fair to raise expectations. Um, I think along with that, you obviously have the internal growth of Isaac Okoro with a full off season. You have Darius Garland going into year three. We'll see what happens when it comes to Colin Sexton. But yeah, that internal growth combined with the missing piece that you didn't have, the star potential player that can lift your ceiling. Yeah, I absolutely do think it's fair to raise expectations. And it's fair to wonder, especially with the bottom of the Eastern Conference being as wide open as it is, Doug, if this team can can finally start to push for a playoff spot. Look, it's hard because whoever they draft at number three is a teenager. And obviously he needs to mature mentally and mature physically. Um, But with the other components already here, I think, and that guy that, that comes with the number three pick, I think you can see the path 
to that kind of growth where it's time for this organization to take the next step. I know you're very tapped into everything the Cavs are doing. And, mm-hmm. and, and listen, I, I mean, I actually, I, I do like it. I think the fans like it when the teams in Cleveland kind of have each other's back and, you know, sure. teams are tweeting about this and tweeting about that. Not, I, I'm not expecting like Kobe Altman to come out and be like, see the Browns did it. Now we're going to, but like, if they were listening to this, would they pull you aside later and be like, I tell that Doug guy doesn't, doesn't know what he's <laughs> talking about. Or, or would they be like, you know what? Like it, it is a different sport, but, Hey, if you are a Cavs fan who is also a Browns fan, you know, let's let's learn some lessons here. We're making the smartest decisions we can, but maybe let's learn some lessons as a fan base and maybe it'll be kind of the same plan. It's so funny that you bring this up, Doug, because I had multiple conversations with members of of the Cavs front office throughout the course of the year. And and one of the things that they kept saying to me was, "Chris, shouldn't the fans in Cleveland understand how long this takes to rebuild because they just went through it with the Browns? And shouldn't there be some kind of benefit of the doubt that just because the Browns were losing games and they were going one in 15 and 0 in 16, it didn't mean that everything was bad. It didn't mean that they didn't have some individual components that were exciting, that were compelling, that made you think maybe possibly in the future. And that was something that I struggled with for the last couple of years when it comes to the Cavs. Um, I thought because the Browns went through what they did and people saw what it could turn into by losing, by assembling these young pieces, I thought people in this town, Doug, I I thought they learned to evaluate the individual independent from the result. Because the result is you against the other team. It's a team stat. It's the collective. Um, but, but it seemed like to me that people hadn't learned that, mm. which it was really weird to me. And I can tell you that it was frustrating for people within the Cavs front office. I would imagine that the Browns were doing their rebuild from a point of they've been five and 11 every year and it got them nowhere. So mm-hmm. we we're going to tank to get to the bottom, but like there were no expectations. I think right. it is harder to sort of bottom out off four straight finals appearances. And right that, about that. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's like, Hey, I mean, you know this, but I mean, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the guy who understands it better than anybody, but it's like, yeah, well look at the Browns. It's like, no, I want to look at LeBron. <laughs> yeah. Where is that? That was, he was just right. in this arena and it's hard to make that shift and say, no, 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 no. We're going to be like Baker Mayfield and miles Garrett when it's like, well, you just had, the second greatest player ever here for four years. So I get it. And it's not only that either. Yeah. Like they lost LeBron and that started this all, but, but it really started the year before that with Kyrie. So it's like, not only did we lose LeBron, but we lost Kyrie too. And Kevin Love, the only person left really from, from that team besides, you know, Channing Fry and some of those leftovers at the beginning can't get on the court and isn't the same player. So it's like, getting beaten over the head multiple different ways. Uh, I think that was hard for, for Cavs fans. Um, And I think the fact that, you know, some of their draft picks didn't turn out to be as high as fans wanted them to be for one. I mean, the Colin Sexton pick, the magical Brooklyn pick was supposed to be Luca. It was supposed to be Trey young. It was supposed to be that caliber player, right? 
And that's why they hung on to it. That's why they weren't willing to trade it in the final year of LeBron. And it turned into Colin Sexton. So I get it that there's a natural letdown from that standpoint too. And then the year after that, when you have the second worst record in the NBA, there's a natural letdown to not getting Zion, not getting John Morant, not getting RJ Barrett and only getting Darius Garland. So I do get that. I I just think that, that too often throughout the course of the last couple of years, fans have tried to evaluate the Cavs as if they were a finished product. It would be like if you were flipping a house and the master bedroom isn't completely renovated, but you put it on the market. Like obviously the level of judgment there is going to be different than if you finish that master bedroom and then you put it then on the market. Makes me want to sell my house. Um, it's, it's the market to do that, Doug. My wife's no. been talking to me about that for the last, I don't know how many months at this point. It is. I, I don't want to have to clean my house though. I'm surrounded by, I don't want to have to, I'll just keep it. Um, so let's get, let's just do super basketball for the last question. And you sort of okay. mentioned this. So would you, are you, do you very strongly feel that they will wind up with either Jalen green, Evan Mobley, or you even mentioned trading up to one Cade Cunningham, that one of yeah. those three guys, all of whom in your opinion have star potential. One of those three guys will be a Cleveland Cavalier. Yeah, I do believe that. I think if there was a route for them to get the first overall pick, if they feel like there is a route for them to get the first overall pick, they're going to exhaust that. And they're going to explore that because I think everybody inside the organization recognizes that like, if you could build a player and you could plop that guy on this roster and that guy could make the biggest difference for where the Cavs ultimately want to get to it's Cade Cunningham. It's that archetype. (laughs) Obviously, you could say it's LeBron, it's Kevin Durant, it's Jason Tatum, but it's that supersized playmaking wing that gives you some versatility both offensively and defensively. Those are the kinds of guys that change seven-game series. We have this conversation all the time amongst us in the media, and I have it with scouts and executives all the time. There are 82-game players in the NBA, Doug, like Ben Simmons, Um, and then there are seven-game series players. And Cade Cunningham is a seven-game series player. He's never going to be played off the court. You don't have to worry about the other components on the roster because he can play one, two, three. He can guard one, two, three, maybe even four. So if there is any path to them getting Cade Cunningham, they are going to explore that to the max. Um, But if Detroit says, hey, look, there's nothing that you can offer us. We don't want to drop down to three. Um then I think the Cavs would be just fine with whoever it is Detroit and Houston um, doesn't take at one and two. And if it's Mobley, it's Mobley. If it's Jalen Green, it's Jalen Green. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't overlook Jalen Suggs completely because he's got rare intangibles. But I just, I get the vibe that if, if one of Mobley Green is there at three, it would be hard for the Cavs to pass on that level of talent. All right, that's some good basketball talk on our football podcast. But who do you like? I I don't know enough to know. Okay. Um, but it feels like if Green and 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 I mean we we can do that. We can do forty five minutes on basketball <laughs> if we want. 
Hey, man, I got time. Like, it's one of those things, like, if green is like a dude and it feels like green is a dude like that, and then it's like, well, does green, Sexton Garland green, is that all exactly right? But then maybe it's like, well, maybe it's not Sexton Garland green, and maybe it's Garland and green, and Colin Sexton is somewhere else. And you're, Mm -hmm. as you said, it's an asset. It's a player who becomes an asset who helps you in another way. So, um, but I like Suggs. I, you know, I'm one of those guys who watch the NCAA tournaments. Like, sure. oh, Jalen Suggs, Ohio oh. State. Ohio, he came to a football camp at Ohio State as a quarterback. He seems like right. a great guy. Right. Um, but Green, I mean, if Green's that kind of difference maker. But Mobley, I mean, Mobley. But then if they get Mobley, and then you kind of have Mobley and Allen is the interesting pairing, right, for mm-hmm. size. And then you mm-hmm. have Sexton and Garland. I mean, that's got some potential, too. So, right. I don't know enough to say who I like, but Jalen Green at three sure sounds pretty good, I think. I think the thing that I wrote the night that that they got the third pick in the lottery was that um, there is no wrong answer here. If it's Mobley, that's not a wrong answer. Is it a wonky fit a little bit because not too many teams are starting two bigs like that? Sure. But just because the guy is seven foot doesn't mean he has the skill set of every seven footer. I think too often we put guys in a box. It's not about position to me. It's about skill set. Evan Mobley plays more. I don't want to throw this out there as it's a comparison, but he plays more like Kevin Durant than he does like Jared Allen. He plays more like Chris Bosh than Andre Drummond. So not every seven-footer is built the same way. It's about his toolkit. It's about his skill set. So it's a bit of a wonky fit because not a lot of teams are going that way in the front court. But he's different enough than Jared Allen that you're gaining something by having him there. Jalen Green is different enough to me than Colin Sexton because he's more of a catch-and-shoot guy rather than go out and create your own bucket the way that Colin has shown to be. I was talking to a scout um, the other day that, that compared Jalen Green more to like a Bradley Beal type. Mm. You run him off screens, catch-and-shoot, picking pick and pop if you want to, if you want to run some one-two pick and pop type stuff to make it really, really interesting, a driving kick, all that kind of stuff. A little bit different. And then maybe eventually Jalen Green then down the road becomes that guy who can do everything. He can go out, create for others, can create for himself, catch and shoot, pin downs, all that kind of stuff. And he could be like the versatile score that you're looking for. But I don't think any one of those guys – we talked earlier in the NBA, you got to have like eight, nine guys that you feel really, really good about in your rotation. You don't have to be 12 deep or something like that. Eight, nine. If three of those guys are guards, then so be it. Then yeah. So be it. You find a way to make it where there's 48 minutes in a basketball game, play them all 30. They don't all have to be out there on, on the court at the same time. And you can say the same thing about Evan Mobley and Jared Allen too. You don't have to play them. You know, if they play 38 minutes total, all 38 don't have to be together. Right. When you have the right talent, you you find a way to make it work, Um, especially nowadays in the NBA, uh, when you can stagger these guys throughout the course of a game, where you can play three guard lineups, where you can play three bigs if you want to. There's enough different directions that the Cavs could go where there's just no wrong answer. Even Jalen Suggs. I could make a compelling argument for Jalen Suggs. He's an alpha who makes every team better everywhere he goes. A scout compared him to Russell Wilson, called him the Russell Wilson of the NBA. 
because he comes to your organization and he makes that organization better. His leadership skills are off the charts. So I could make an argument there too. Is it an ideal fit? No, but you get that level of talent and you find a way to make it work. That's the bottom line. And honestly, the, 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 the idea of no wrong answer, it, it, right. It doesn't have to be the right test answer. Cause right, listen, right. The Browns took Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson has won an MVP and Josh Allen set the world on fire last year. But mm-hmm. are Browns fans gnashing their teeth that they don't have Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson? Oh. There was more than one right answer at number one for right. the Browns that year, just like there might be more than one right answer at number three. Now, the Cavs don't control their own destiny, so mm-hmm. but who falls to them? But even that, it's like it doesn't – you can make it right. Yes. And, and that's it. You, you, when you when – you, Go all the way down to the bottom. You don't have to be perfect no. on your way back to the top, no. which sometimes no. fans, I think, can think you do have to be perfect. And no, you just you have to be pretty good a decent amount of the time with the guys you acquire. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair way to look at it. Um, I think that's a logical way to look at it. And, and that's why a lot of these teams, like you said, Doug, this is hard. Rebuilds are hard. Winning championships really, really hard. And the draft is so hard, right? These are the smartest guys in the world at their profession. And they're not going to hit on every single one of them because you're investing in kids because you're trying to figure out how an 18-year-old kid is going to translate to a man's game. And you're trying to figure out what's inside of him when you can't cut him open to figure out what is inside of him. And system matters and coaching matters. And situation matters. And all of those things are going to play into whether a guy is successful. So that's why all these teams are like, give me as many cracks at this thing. And then my percentages organically will improve that way. And if I go 7 of 14, 9 of 14, whatever the case may be, you just feel really, really good about the hits because you know how difficult it is to hit. I've been saying this for a couple of weeks now. You think Atlanta has gotten everything right in their rebuild? No. Right. But the Hawks are right there on the doorstep of the NBA Finals because they have the guy in Trey Young that makes everything go. And you accept Cam Reddish, even though Cam Reddish doesn't look like a hit. You accept DeAndre Hunter, even though there are questions about him. You accept the fact that that you completely whiffed on Amari Spellman, who was a late first-round pick. You're not thinking about those things because you're so focused on the hits that you have and the guys that are actually making it all come together, one of them in particular being Trey Young. So listen, if you're a Browns fan that also likes the Cavs, I think you really like that. If you're a Browns fan that's not that interested in the Cavs, maybe you're a little more interested in the Cavs because there are some things happening in Cleveland sports where the Cavs are about three years behind, but they might be headed on a similar path that the Browns are on right now. And I, I love it when we can sort of cross over sports and there's nobody better to do it with than Chris Fedor. Fedor, thanks for your time, man. Yeah, you got it, Doug. Anytime, bud. I love it. All right. Thanks to you guys for listening. That was the Orange and Brown Talk podcast for Thursday. Again, I know not everybody loves me but I'll try to tamp it down a little bit. I'm an acquired taste. Dan lobby is much smoother. He's more, he's just a, has a gentler voice. Uh, he's a great fella, but the man needs some vacation time. So we'll be back with another orange and brown talk podcast on Friday. Thanks to you guys for listening. Thanks to Chris Fedor for talking. 
Cavs and Browns on the Orange and Brown Talk. <laughs>